Amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us right into the throne room. What a blessing it is. You know, I wanted to share with you after last uh, Sunday's service, right at the end of the service, there was a couple of people that came forward uh, and prayed to receive Christ. And, um, you know, that's why we present the gospel. That's why we talk about what Jesus has done for us. And, um, you know, you just never know uh, who's here and who's sitting in the congregation that may want to respond to the gospel message. And um, next week, uh, next Sunday morning, we're going to have a baptismal service. And if you want to be baptized, you need to contact the church office this week if, uh, if we don't already know that you're going to be baptized. But uh, we are having one, so if you want to be baptized, it would be a good time to do it. But uh, call the church office and, and set that up with Lori, and I know uh, we'll be excited for that. Also today, we are receiving, as Jeff said, our, our Lottie Moon uh, Christmas offering. We've made this the day to receive it. And um, in a little while, uh, after I, I finish up here and, and we have our invitation, we're going to receive that offering. And, and what I'm hoping that will happen is that, um, that you will take one of those special offering envelopes that's maybe in the pew in front of you there that kind of looks like this. And if you haven't given to this offering and you would like to, just put your, your check or your money in there. And then um, we're going to have a time where we can come forward and, and put it in these baskets up here. And maybe you've given online. Just uh, take one of those and write how much you, you gave online and put it in there with nothing in it. Just put it in there. Because you know that um, all of that is going to be uh, go towards telling others about Jesus all over the world. And so we have a part in that, but we will receive that in a little while, and I hope that you will be generous with that. Um, now, your tithe comes to the church, but your offering goes to help move the, the, the kingdom forward. Um, we're going to be in um, Matthew chapter 2, if you have your scripture and want to open up to that. Uh, we're going to continue today in our, our uh, series that we've had, and uh, we, we've talked about the gift of others and how Jesus' coming uh, at this time of year has, has brought us the gift of others, but we also talked last week about the gift of movement, of, of God doesn't leave us where he finds us, but he, he moves us to where he wants us to be. And today we're going to talk about the gift of seeking, the gift of seeking. You know, in the, in the Christmas story... God makes himself known. He shows up. He makes himself known. And, and I love this because he reveals himself. He, he opens himself up so that we can know who he is and what he's about. And understand that God draws and calls all people to himself. He's not willing that any should perish, according to 2 Peter 3, 9 but that all should come to repentance. And so God calls and draws all people to himself. And often he speaks to them through their culture and, and in a language they understand and leading them toward Jesus Christ. And, and I think this is huge because in our story today, the magi, the, the wise men, uh, they, they are an example of how this works. I mean, they were spiritual seekers, and they were looking for God's movement in the world. 
You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, he said, seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. You know, a common misunderstanding about God is believing that, that he has not made himself known or that, he's, that God is far away and, and distant to us. And, and some people refer to that to him as being the man upstairs, you know, the big guy upstairs or whatever. But the, the thing is, is God has made himself known. We can know God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and, and I, I recognize that, that God provides a pathway of discovery that leads people straight to himself. And I, I think this is big because if you look over in Isaiah, I'm going I'm to get to Matthew 2 here in a little bit, but in Isaiah chapter 2, um, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 1 through 4 says this. It says, Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. God draws and calls all people to himself. I want to say it again. God calls and he draws all people to himself. See, this story about the Magi is a great illustration of how God has made himself known and longs to be in a personal relationship with us. I mean, God worked in a very unique way, and he used a star. He used a star that led the Magi to the creator of the stars. You know, the Apostle Paul, he writes this in Romans 1. He says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that all people are without excuse. Romans 1.20. See, God speaks to and he draws all people to himself and, and, and we see this in this passage in, in chapter 2, and I'm going to read it in just a moment. But I want to point out that the Magi went to see the Christ child, and they followed this star. This star took them, and according to God's word, according to God's word, the stars were placed in the heavens as signs to tell a story. If you look in Psalm, I know I'm going to get to Matthew 2 in a minute, hang on. Psalm 19 says this, it says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor there are there words, 
their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterance to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. And then in Genesis chapter 1 verse 14, it says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heaven to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two lights, two great lights, excuse me, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. See, he says in there that, that, that he gave those stars in, in, in 19 as, as, as signs. As signs, and, and you think about a sign. A sign might be a mark, it might be a, a token, it might be a badge, it might be a standard, it might be a monument, it might be a memorial, a warning, a, an omen, a, a, a symbol. A sign might be a symbol, it might be a miracle, it might be a proof. But the ancient story of the stars tells the gospel message. And I think this is really, really huge. Because when we look up into the starry night, we don't always think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't think about the stars telling the story of the gospel of what God is doing and how he is drawing people to himself. But the stars are given as signs and they contain no power in themselves. But you see, the, the story of the stars has been perverted by mythology, by the horoscope, by astrology. So pay very careful attention to what you believe. See, I pass along two excellent book references for the ancient story of the stars. The first one is The Witness of the Stars by E.W. Bullinger. And the second one is The Heavens Declare by William Banks. And these books illustrate how the ancient interpretation of the constellations of the stars told the story of Jesus. But you see, modern astrology has perverted this and it's to be discarded as false. See, stars are never to be worshipped or deified. I mean, think about this. The point to make here is that God has revealed himself. He has opened himself up. He has revealed himself and his plan of redemption in Jesus in ways that we may not even know anymore. I mean, things pass off and they, they, they fall off and, and for whatever reason, we may not have ever heard that. But that is how God put that. It's interesting to note that even when God is confronting Job, you remember when he asked him, gird up your loins. And now I'll ask the questions and you answer me. And, and he says in Job 38, uh, verse 32, he says, can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her sons or satellites? <clears throat> can you lead the stars? Can you tell the stars what to do? Because my God can tell the stars 
what to do. Matthew 2, I'm going to finally read the text here. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and following, it says this. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he that has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. Verse 6, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the, the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you've found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Loving Father, I thank you for your word and I pray that you would guide us as we continue to, to study your word. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would just be our teacher and our guide. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for what you did on the cross for each one of us. And Father, I pray that today you would draw us to you. Father, we know that your word says you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Father, may that be so in our hearts today. Guide us as we seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a couple of truths that I want to share with you from this account. And, and the first one is this, is that if you want to experience Jesus... If you want to experience Jesus, you must be willing to be interrupted and inconvenienced. He doesn't just come to us when we're comfortable. But we have to be willing to be interrupted and inconvenienced. I mean, we see this in this passage with the Magi and the, the tension that was brought on by King Herod. See, King Herod was crazy. He was cray-cray. He had a lot of problems. And it would have been safer for someone to be, a, you know, for, for the, the, the animals in his kingdom, to the, the pigs and things, than to be his own son because he was paranoid that someone was trying to take his throne. 
And so when, when, when it says that Herod was troubled and, and all of Jerusalem with him, they had great reason to be troubled. Now, in that, we also see in verse 12, it says there, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. In order to come and see Jesus, they had to be inconvenienced and they had to be interrupted. And it's no different for us. But somehow we think that that we can come to Jesus and we can see Jesus, we can experience him, but everything else in our life will just be the same way it's always been. But it doesn't work that way. We're going to be interrupted. We're going to be inconvenienced when we experience Jesus Christ. Second truth I want to give you here is that we are to worship God and give him our best. We are to worship God and give him our best. In verse 11 it says, after coming into the house they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. I mean, the Magi, the wise men, they modeled for us how we are to respond to Christ. They brought and they gave Jesus some really significant gifts. I mean, these these gifts, the primary significance of the gifts lay in their great value. They were indeed gifts for a king. Oh, that we would bring gifts fit for our king. Most of the time, we don't have any problem receiving. But we do have a problem giving. Because we want to consume it on our own lusts. We think we have to have everything that is advertised. See, beyond making it clear that these were great treasures given in an act of worship, Scripture does not directly attach other symbolic meanings necessarily to the gifts, but it is reasonable for us to draw a few inferences here from the gifts brought by the wise men. I mean, these valuable gifts are clearly intended to honor Jesus. But it's possible they carried even deeper theological significance as well. When we think about the gift of gold, I mean, it was customary for royal visits. The wise men brought their treasured gifts intended to honor the newborn king. And as it is today, gold was a valued commodity, even in the ancient world. I mean, among the types of assets that are listed in the Bible, you have precious metals, you have livestock, you have gemstones, you have even, even servants, but you have the accumulation of gold as one of the chief measurements of wealth. And because of its scarcity and the immense value, gold was particularly associated with royalty and nobility. I mean, we read about it in 1 Kings chapter 10, where the queen of Sheba came to visit King Solomon. 
And it says there in that passage that he answered every question that she had. And she showered him with, with lots of great quantities of gold. And it goes to great lengths listing how much gold she gave to King Solomon. See, but by bringing a gift of gold, the wise men showed that they did indeed consider Jesus a king. In addition to underscoring the, the royalty of Jesus, some have noted that the wise men's gift of gold may have foreshadowed even a, another aspect of Jesus' ministry. See, under the old covenant, the most holy place, known as the Holy of Holies, was an inner sanctuary within the temple where the priest would come and encounter the presence of God and offer a sacrifice for atonement for the sins of the people. You know, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our great high priest. And likewise, in the, in the incarnation of Jesus coming in the flesh, it announced the presence of God, Emmanuel, the one with us, and the sacrifice of atonement that he would make on behalf of his people as he died on the cross. Oh, the walls of the most holy place are described in 1 Kings 6, and the altar in it are completely overlaid with gold, a gift for a king, the best for God. It also talks about the gift of frankincense. And frankincense is an aromatic uh, gum resin that's widely still used in parts of Africa and the Middle East. And it's produced by scraping the bark of a tree a certain type of tree, and then harvesting those beads of resin after they have dried. And when burned as incense, it creates a strong and beautiful aroma. Now, in the ancient Near East, the cost of frankincense made it where it was impossible to be used as a common household air freshener. But understand that the burning of frankincense was closely associated with ceremonial worship of a deity when you were going to worship God then, then frankincense was something that was used in that worship time in this way the inclusion of frankincense as a gift for Jesus may have indicated that the wise men understood the prophecy of the newborn king carried with it a claim of deity in other words Jesus being fully God and fully man. See, as with the gold, frankincense may have had an implied connection with the temple in the, in, as, as they worship in the Old Testament. See, the burning incense at the altar was a key part of the sacrificial system prescribed by God for the use in the tabernacle, but also in the temple itself. And so we read in Exodus 30, however, not just the incense would, would do, not just any incense, but a specific recipe of spices mixed with pure frankincense. And that was considered consecrated as pure and holy, and it was the only incense that was permitted at the altar. Then you have the gift of myrrh. 
Myrrh was a fragrant spice derived from the sap of a tree that grows in the Near East. And and like frankincense, it can be used as incense. But the ancient world also had a wider usage of it. They used it in perfume. They also used it in anointing oil that they would anoint uh, priests and, and also animals that they were going to slaughter. It was even sipped as, as some type of medicinal tonic. But most notable with regard to Jesus' life, myrrh was a key ingredient in the mixture of spices that were used to prepare bodies for burial. I mean, possibly the wise men intended this gift as an indication of Jesus' humanity and the manner in which he would save his people, that he would actually die for them. And just like the first two gifts, there's a connection with the the temple in Jerusalem and with myrrh as well. Exodus 30 tells us that liquid myrrh was the main ingredient in the anointing oil used to ceremonially prepare the priests, the instruments, the altar, all of the things, and the temple itself before the sacrifices could be made. They prepared the area with myrrh. See, all three of these gifts reveal some implications related to Jesus' life and ministry. They talk about his kingship. They talk about his deity. They talk about his humanity. These three gifts that they brought, they, they, they talk about all of those things because he is our prophet, he is our priest, he is our king. See, with no hint of backstory, Matthew simply introduces us to these travelers and he says, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. But who were they? Who were the Magi? What, what were they about? And this term, wise men, and it's wise men, not wise guys, okay? You can be a wise guy, but you, you're, not, you're not necessarily a wise man, Okay? But, but the, these magi was someone that, that refers to someone that was an astronomer or astrologer who served in the royal courts throughout the ancient Near Eastern world. Now, just a little bit of history there. Within the Medo-Persian Empire, for example, magi were regarded as valuable advisors for their knowledge of science, for their knowledge of agriculture, and sorcery. Okay, there's kind of a twist here with the magi. They read sacred writings, but they're also involved in occult practices. Later in the Babylonian Empire, Daniel encountered and rescued a group of prominent wise men that had been called on to interpret the king's dreams. By the first century AD, Magi were more broadly known as men who studied sacred writings and dabbled with the occult. You remember in Acts chapter 8, we had Simon Magus, And what he did was he was someone who wanted to purchase the power of God from the disciples. He was someone who followed them around and did magic tricks and and people were awed by that. But he knew that he didn't have what they had. His was a sleight of hand. Theirs was the power of Almighty God. He, He asked them to buy if he could purchase the power of God. And they told him, you don't have any part of what we're doing. Even though 
present through the region, Magi were commonly associated with the Parthian Empire. Located east of Palestine, which is what we would call today Iran. The country of Iran. It's possible that they came, the ones who came to visit Jesus came from this area. Which would explain their familiarity with the Old Testament. And that he was born king of the Jews. After the Babylonian captivity, I'm almost done, remnants of Jewish culture lingered in that region. And it's likely that the Hebrew scriptures were among the sacred writings that these wise men studied in their pursuit of wisdom. And though the Bible's account of the wise men's visit is relatively straightforward, it can be viewed in many different angles. And it's possible that their gifts were specifically intended to pay homage to Jesus' royalty, his deity, and his humanity. And beyond that, they may have also carried the temple connotations, even a reference to Jesus' global mission. And whether or not you read deeper theological meaning into them, there's one thing that is certain, is that these were significant gifts that they brought in order to show honor to Jesus. We don't, we don't do that. We don't have that in our world where we want to do that, where we bring something so significant. As I invite our worship team to come back up here, I'll wrap this up. See, the Magi, they illustrate for us how God provides a pathway of discovery for those who seek him. They came seeking Jesus. They came seeking the king. And God made a way for them to find Jesus. He moved the star over the place where they were. He made a way where there was no way. And that's who our God is. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. And if people want to come to Christ, they can come to Christ and God will make a way for them so that they can know who Jesus is. And so I asked the question this morning, how are you seeking God today in your everyday life? Are you seeking him? And, and, and no matter what you're facing, if it's a crisis, if it's um, a reversal of some type, if it's a catastrophe... You have to come to the conviction that God is the one who is leading you. That God is the one who is leading you through this because our God is faithful. And he will guide us through where we need to go in order to come to him. And, and I ask another question. What gifts can you bring to God as an act of worship? I mean, these wise men came to worship the king and they brought gifts as they knelt before him and as they worshiped him. Many times we may come and we may, excuse me, we may worship, but do we bring gifts that honor the king? See, God really does make himself known in the world through Jesus Christ. 
And you can count on this in your own walk with him. In addition, as a follower of Christ, part of the way that you can help others connect to God is to help them in seeing and seeking how God has made himself known in their lives. I said earlier, Matthew 7, 7 and 8, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be open. You know, Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and will open the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. See, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, means that God who is pursuing us draws us and he calls all people unto himself. And as God has worked in the Magi's lives, he will work in our lives today if we seek him with all that we are. Will you seek Christ today? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Father, I pray that we would seek you with all our heart. I pray, Father, that you would help us to bring gifts as we worship Christ, worthy of a king.